0: Neil Armstrong was the first man on the moon, but there is a Jewish figure, a Jewish important character, who was given the title the man of the moon. Who is this man, and why was he given this title? I don't think he ever made it to the moon. In the 1930s, a man doing construction in his home in the city of Jericho in Israel discovered a beautiful, intact mosaic floor of a synagogue from the 6th century. What three words were inscribed there in the mosaic? Good afternoon, not from the moon. But from down here below, it's Tuesday, 12.15 p.m., time for lunch and learn. Today's class is titled, Man of the Moon. We'll be discussing, exploring the story of a man named Yehoshua, Joshua. A fascinating story of the settlement of the Jewish people in the land of Israel and many interesting anecdotes along the way with stories and lessons for us thousands of years later in 2022. Hello, Jody. Hello, Roy. Hello, Amy. Hello, everyone joining on now and later for our weekly lesson. Today's lesson number 161, and we will be exploring a man who I carry his name. My first name is Yehoshua. Yehoshua in English sometimes referred to as Joshua. Somehow the Y was dropped and it was transformed into Joshua. The proper pronunciation in Hebrew is Yehoshua. We'll talk about Yehoshua, an incredible biblical character, very important. And we'll see how his story influences and impacts our life today. Let's begin with a blessing. As I was preparing this lesson, I realized that tonight, on the Jewish calendar, the 26th day of the month of Nisan, actually is the site It is the anniversary of the passing of Yehoshua. And one of the stories that we'll talk about actually occurred during this week on the Jewish calendar. So it is quite an opportune time to explore, to study the story. And as usual, we have a source sheet prepared, especially for today's lesson for Everyone to follow along in English, check your email, inbox, or on this post, there is a link. You can get ready, download it, print it out, to be able to follow along in today's lesson. Now, the story of Yehoshua is recorded mostly in a book that he wrote. It is the first of the books of the prophets, one of the 24 books of the entire Torah. It is a continuation of the five books of Moses. And in his book, I believe it has 24 chapters, the story of Yahushua, the conquest of the Holy Land and the settlement of the Jewish people there. The story is recorded in that book, as well as in the five books of Moses, known as the Chumash. There are some episodes where Joshua is involved. We'll touch upon some of them and we'll get a glimpse into the life of this important figure and how it, its lessons apply to us. Here we go. Let's jump right in. Hello, Mark. We're on the source sheet. Source number one. Source number one. Moshe received the Torah at Sinai and transmitted it to Yehoshua. Yehoshua to the elders, the elders to the prophets, and the prophets to the men of the great assemblies. Here we have a quote what's known as Pirke Avot. Actually, it is customary to study this during these weeks between Pesach, between Passover and the upcoming holiday of Shavuos in six weeks or so. And the very first Mishnah, the very first uh, paragraph of this tractate tells us, Moshe, Moshe was the teacher of the Jewish people. Moshe received the Torah at Sinai. And he transmitted it to his faithful student, Yehoshua, Yahushua, in turn, transmitted it and passed down the teachings to the elders. And the elders, in Hebrew the a K-nim, the elders to the prophets, the sages to the prophets, and the next generation of the prophets, one prophet after another prophet, until eventually it was transmitted to the men of the great assembly, who eventually, after some time, was it was all transcribed in the Mishnah and in the Talmud. These were the teachings, we had the written law, but the teachings were transmitted orally from teacher to student, from teacher to student for generations. Who was the second link? Yehoshua. So he's way up there in the transmission of the Torah, the way we have it today, from Moshe to Yehoshua. Out of all of the Jewish people that were there then, Yehoshua was the primary student and transmitter of the Torah from, his, from Moshe to the next generation, Yehoshua. We will talk about Yehoshua today. Source number two. We have a couple of episodes in the Torah. Yehoshua was chosen as one of the 12 representatives of the Jewish people to scout out the land. So let's take a step back. The Jewish people come out of Egypt. 3,330 Four years ago, a couple of weeks later, they're at Mount Sinai. They receive the Torah and they build the the tabernacle in the desert. And about a year later, the plan is to go up directly to the land of Israel. And they sent scouts, one man per tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel, to go up to the land of Israel and see what's doing. Unfortunately... 10 of the 12 tribes return with a negative report saying the people are very strong, the cities are fortified, and we will not be able, we will not be successful, we will be crushed, and we should stay here in the desert. And God is upset with the people. The people believe the 10 spies, with the negative reports, doubting God's power, a miraculous plan for the Jewish people, um, God decrees that this generation should live out their lives 40 years in the desert. And then the young generation, the next generation, the ones that are, will have faith, they will be the ones to enter the land of Israel. That was 10 of the spies. Two of the spies came back with a positive report. Who were these two spies? Source number two for the tribe of Ephraim, Hosea, the son of Nun. Moshe called Hosea, the son of Nun, Yehoshua, before dispatching the spies. Moses, Moshe appoints Hosea for the tribe of Ephraim, but he changes his name. His name was Hosea, which means salvation, but Moshe called him Yehoshua. He added a Yud to the beginning of his name, and now his name was Yehoshua instead of plain Hoshea, Hoshua, now it was transformed into Yehoshua. Why? Meaning, God will save you from the counsel of the spies. Yehoshua makes that the beginning of his name has God's name. Yehoshua, Yud, and the Hey is one of God's name. We have many names like that. Yehoshua, Yirmiyah, the end of the name there is part of God's name. Um, Yehoyada. Gedalia, we have another name of God, Raphael, Yechezkel, Michael, Gavriel, the L at the end of the name, that is God's name, and many names, we want to have God's name as part of the name, and Moshe, by t- changing his name, he was not just changing the way he was referred to, but changing his destiny, and infusing him, imbuing him with the strength that Yehoshua, God, should be your salvation, God should save you, Moshe, uh detected that some of the spies were not on to something good, and he prayed that Yehoshua should not be swayed by the majority of the spies and should come back with a good report. He prayed for him, and thus his name began became Yehoshua. Only Joshua and Caleb remained alive of the men who went to tour the land. Those twelve men, ten of them, came back with evil report, and they ended up dying in the desert. Only Joshua and his colleague, colleague, a man named Caleb or Kalev, who, parenthetically, was a brother-in-law of Moshe. Moshe's sister, older sister Miriam, married Kalev. Kalev and Yahushua were the only ones of the 12 spies who came back with a positive report and they survived the 40 years in the desert and were among the men who entered into the land as we'll soon see. So here we see that Yahushua was a, um, a staunch character. He was not one easily swayed and even though the majority of men came back with a negative report, he stood strong in his faith and belief in God. He was a budding leader, the future leader, the successor. We'll soon see that it is one of the episodes where we see in Torah something unique about Yehoshua. Source number three, his attendant Yehoshua would not depart from the tent. The attendant of Moshe, Yehoshua, would never leave the tent where Moshe was, where he would teach. He was attached to his teacher. He was a very devoted and loyal student. Moshe said to Yeshua, ask for me all the cases of uncertainty so that I can clarify them for you. Before Moses is passing, he summons or he asks Yeshua, he says, well, do you have any questions before I leave? Ask me any cases of uncertainty and I can now clarify for you. So Yeshua said, my teacher, did I ever leave you for even one moment and go to another place? Yahushua was always there in case Moshe would teach something. He was there to be the transmitter, to absorb, to learn, to receive from Moshe. He would rise early and stay late at the study hall, setting up the benches and spreading the mats. He wasn't just there for himself, he was dedicated to the honor of Torah, making sure that everybody is comfortable, there are enough benches for the people coming to study, he would spread the mats on which people would sit, the students would sit. He was a dedicated and loyal student and attendant of Moshe. To the extent that when Moshe went up to Mount Sinai for 40 days, Yahushua went up as much as he can, was not allowed to ascend the mountain. All the way to the top but he stood there and he sat there for 40 days he didn't go back to his tent he wasn't in the camp when the story of the golden calf took place he was out there on the mountain somewhat waiting for moshe he he wanted to he, he escorted moshe, his teacher to the last moment to the last spot and as he was waiting there while moshe would descend from the mountain he would be there right there and sure enough 40 days later yoshua had no idea what happened in the camp and the story of the golden calf the sin and he descended and and returned to the camp together with Moshe. He was inseparable from his teacher Moshe. He was a devoted and loyal student. And Moshe in turn treated him so. We see there's a story that the first nation that encountered the Jewish people and waged war after their exodus from Egypt was the nation of Amalek. Amalek was a grandson of Esau, Esau the twin brother of Yitzchak, of Isaac. And he was a enemy of the Jewish people. And when he waged war against the Jewish people, Source 4, Moshe said to Yehoshua, Choose men for us and go out and fight against the Amalek. Says the Mishnah, Let the honor of your student be as dear to you as your own. Moshe didn't tell Yehoshua, Yehoshua, my student, go out and... Choose men for me. It was Moshe. He was the leader. It was his job to appoint men, to choose men, to go out and fight a Amalek. Yet Moshe uses the term choose men for us. You and I, Moshe and Yahushua, for us, choose men. He equated, he Um made Yahushua his student, his equal, says the Mishnah. From here we learn, just like the first teacher and the first student, Moshe and Yahushua, Moshe's had a, had a friendship, had a respect, had a kavo, the term of the mission on Hebrew is that a kavo, he had an honor and respect for Yeshua, um, elevating him sort of to his level, referring to, to them, to the student as us, as we are, as if we are equals. And so to every teacher and student relationship should be such one of love and care, of honor and respect, the teacher should not have a condescending kind of relationship with the student. I am the teacher, you are the low student. Rather, just as Moshe and Yeshua had a, had, a, Moshe had an honor and respect and a love for Yahushua, so too every student should be so in the eyes of his teacher. When it came close to the time for Moshe to pass on, He had a request from God. Moshe was the devoted and loving leader of the Jewish people for 40 years, from age 80 when he took them out of Egypt until 120 when he passed away. And source five tells us that Moshe requests from God, let the Lord, the God spirit, the God of spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation. What does this mean? Moshe is referring to God, let the Lord, the God of spirits, very uncommon expression. We don't find that often. Why is Moshe stressing specifically at this request when he's asking God to appoint a man to lead the congregation after his passing? He uses the title, God of spirits of all flesh. Says the Midrash, master of the universe. Moses was saying the character of each person is revealed to you. And no two are alike. You are the God of spirits. You recognize that the character of each person is different. No two people are alike, just like we don't look the same. Our way of thinking isn't the same. Our personalities are different. God is the God of spirits. He knows each individual character of each person and deals with them according to their level, according to their character. Hello, Judy. A point over them, Moshe was asking, a point over them, a leader who will tolerate each person according to his individual character. God, and Moshe is asking of God, you are the God of spirits. You know that there are different spirits. There are different strains. There are different kinds of people. Each person is differently. If someone once came to the Rebbe uh, with a book and he wrote, he tells the Rebbe, he wrote this book, it's called uh, The Principles of Education, The Rules, in Hebrew, klalei. And the Rebbe told him, I'm sure you included the first rule, that there are no rules in education, because education is needs to be tailored, each child, each person, according to their... Circumstance, according to their abilities, according to their character, according to their personality. That's one of the rules of education. There's no blanket rule. This is the way it's done. There's no cookie cutter. Every person is different. And Moshe was imploring. Moshe was asking God, You are the God of spirits. You recognize it is revealed to you that not every person is the same. I want a leader to take over myself, to be my successor, one who can recognize and tolerate each individual and lead them according to their unique capabilities and personalities. And indeed, God responds. Source 6, the Lord said to Moshe, Take for yourself, Yehoshua, a man of spirit, and you shall lay your hand upon him. By his word they shall go... And by his word, they shall come. Even though Moshe, the Midrash says, had in mind maybe his own two sons. He had a son called Gershom. He had a son called Eleazar, Eliezer, excuse me. But God said, your student, your faithful and loyal student who never left your side, Yoshua, he fits the description. He is a man of spirit, like you request, somebody who can tolerate and can lead the people Each man, according to their spirits, Yoshua is appointed the new leader after Moshe's passing. Interesting that source number seven tells us, you think about it, I mean, why was Moshe so concerned about the future leader of the Jewish people? I mean, who appointed Moshe himself? God was the one that appointed Moshe. God appointed Moshe. He did a good job choosing Moshe to lead the Jewish people. He was the one that found him at the burning bush. Did Moshe not have faith in God that he would appoint a new leader for the Jewish people? A fine leader to take him over, to succeed him? Yet Moshe, being a loving leader of the Jewish people, he wanted only the best. And he was concerned that after the sin of the golden calf and other sins that the Jewish people have sinned in the desert. And more than once, God had a thought to do away with most of the Jewish people. Moshe had to to intercede and save the Jewish people. Moshe was concerned that, yes, there will be a Jewish leader. But, so source number seven, Moshe was concerned that God would decide that the people did not deserve a leader similar to him. He therefore asked God, To deal with the Jewish people beyond the strict measure of the law. That perhaps in God's eyes, the Jewish people on paper were not deserving of such a leader similar to him. Moshe prayed for such a leader. And God accepted. God said, take Yeshua, he is the man of spirits. And we see here how necessary and how powerful prayer is. Moshe prayed to God, Let God appoint a leader similar to myself. Although maybe the Jewish people in your eyes are not deserving, please do so. And indeed, God did so. Sometimes God waits for our prayers and they can sort of alter His plans. And the Jewish people received a wonderful leader the undisputed leader of the Jewish people who succeeded Moshe, and his name was Yehoshua, Joshua, which I proudly carry his name. My first name is Yehoshua. Yehoshua Heschel, Heshel is a nickname for Herschel. Heshel. Yehoshua. And this concludes the first section of today's lesson. Yehoshua is mentioned a couple of times in the Chumash, in the five books of Moses, And the five books of Moses conclude with the passing of Moshe. Actually, the Talmud says, according to one opinion, that Yehoshua was the one that wrote the last eight verses of the Torah. Because the last eight verses of the book of Deuteronomy says Moshe passed away. Who wrote those words? If Moshe passed, who wrote the words? One opinion is that God instructed Moshe to write it before he passed. Another opinion is that Yehoshua, his faithful student, actually wrote the last eight verses. And the book of Yahushua begins 30 days later. The Jewish people mourned for 30 days for the loss of their leader, Moshe. 30 days later, God speaks to Yahushua, and that takes us to the second section of today's lesson. If you have any questions as we go along, feel free to comment. Welcome, Judy. Nice to have you back today. We're exploring this biblical figure referred to as the Man of the Moon. We'll get to that soon. Why was Yeshua referred to as the Man of the Moon or the Moon Man? Anything to do with the Moon? Yeshua is referred to that referred to so as we will soon see. We so far seen how Yeshua was the devoted and loyal student of Moshe who transmitted the Torah to the next generation. And succeeded the position of leadership and was accepted by all of the Jewish people as the leader. Here's what happens. It's 40 years after wandering in the desert. That generation have, have reached the age of 60 and passed on. It's the new generation and they are ready, finally, to enter into the land of Israel. The Jewish people at this point are situated on the eastern border of Israel. So here we have a map. This is the Mediterranean Sea. Egypt is somewhere here. Here we have Israel. This is the south of Israel, the Negev. You have the north of Israel. You have Haifa in the center. You have Jerusalem. And if you look closely, and to your right, you have uh, Jordan today. This is Jordan. Back then it wasn't called Jordan, but the river was called Jordan. Here we have the Dead Sea, Here you have the Kinneret, the Sea of the Galilee, And down there from the Sea of the Galilee to the Dead Sea, you have a river right here. Today you can drive along a certain highway, drive along the Jordan border. This river pretty much is the border between Israel today and uh, the country of Jordan. And the Jewish people came up from Egypt and came around here. And they are just about here at the Jordan River, at the banks of the Jordan River, when God speaks to Yahushua, source number 8. The Lord said to Yahushua, I mean, people are familiar with the story of the Jewish people up until the passing of Moshe, but the story continues for hundreds of more years, the story of Jewish history. There isn't a year, there isn't a decade in Jewish history where we don't know which Jewish Uh, personality, which sages, prophets lived during that time. Jewish history is very well documented and it's fascinating to study because these stories contain lessons for us. Source number 8, the Lord said to Yehoshua, Arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this nation, to the land which I give the children of Israel. This day I will begin to make you great in the sight of all Israel. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. The waters that come down from above shall stand in one heap. The story of the splitting of the Red Sea or the Reed Sea of Reed is very familiar to many. There's actually another splitting of the sea, splitting of the river, of the Jordan River. Forty years after the splitting of the sea, the Jewish people were at the banks of the Jordan River and the sea, the river, called the Jordan River, split for them. This happened a few days before the holiday of Pesach, on the 10th of the month of Nisan. And the story is described at length in the book of Yahushua, how the Kohanim, the priest, carrying the Ark, carrying the Aaron, containing the tablets of the Ten Commandments, put their feet into the eastern side, eastern shore of the river and instantly the river flowing from the north began to pile up and the river split. The Jewish people passed over into Israel from east to west and they are now in Israel. Israel at the time was settled or occupied by 31 kings or seven, mainly seven nations, the Canaanites, and they were aware that this land belonged to was given by Abraham, who lived there a few hundred years before. The Jewish people are left to be be settled in Egypt and eventually enslaved in Egypt, and this was common knowledge that this. Land was promised to Abraham, to Abraham, to his son Yitzchak, to his son Yaakov and to the Jewish people that this land of Israel is an inheritance, a gift from the Creator, from God to the Jewish people. And they will return. And it was now time. They have heard of the great miracles. And this was uh, a, a challenge for them. Here the Jewish people are coming back to the land of Israel. Source number nine, the first city that the Jewish people encountered, the capital that was on the eastern border, was the city of Jericho, not Jericho, New York, Jericho, in Hebrew, Yericho, Yericho, still a city today, probably one of the most ancient cities of the world, the city of Yericho, was a fortified city with a wall around the city And God planned for the first city to be conquered by the Jewish people should be a miraculous one. The victory, the conquest should be one of miracles demonstrating to the people of the land that this is not just the nation coming to settle a foreign land. This is God bringing his children to the land that he gifted to them. What happened was, The Jewish people were commanded by God through Yahushua to circle the city, the walls of the city of Yericho for seven days. Actually, this week, we find ourselves now, the week following Pesach was the week that every day of the week they circled the wall. They marched around the wall, blowing shofars, carrying the ark. They had a parade. A march around the walls of the city every day, once. Day number one, day number two, today would have been day number four, day number five, day number six. And on day number seven, they were commanded, source number nine, on the seventh day, they rose early at dawn and circled the city seven times. When the Jewish people, when the people heard the trumpets they shouted with a great shout and the wall fell down in its place. A great miracle occurred, this is recorded in the book of Joshua. I'm not making it up, that the walls of Jericho sunk in their place. The people inside the inhabitants were shocked and the Jewish people caught them by surprise and were easily able to take, take over the city of Jericho. After this miraculous event, the walls not crumbling, not falling, not breaking, sinking into the ground. The mighty tall walls of the city of Euricho after seven circuits on the seventh day sunk into the ground. The final day was the 28th day of Nisan coming up in a few days. And until today, some people find it important to go as close as they can to the city of Yericho, to the city today. Unfortunately, it is not um, inhabited, controlled uh, by Jewish people today. Uh, but they have a settlement not too far called Mitzpah Yericho, the focal point, I guess, the place where you can see the city of Yericho. And many people go there. Uh, with shofars, and they blow to commemorate this great miracle that took place on that day, on the 28th day of Nisan. Interesting that a synagogue in the 1930s, an Arab man was doing some construction in his home in Jericho, and he discovered a beautiful mosaic floor dating back to the 6th or 7th century. Here's a picture. And there are, there's the menorah, you have there a shofar. These are Jewish items. You have here a palm tree, which is a Jewish item, the lulav that we shake on the holiday of Sukkot and other Jewish things. Um, And there you have some Hebrew letters. And it shouldn't be too hard to see. There is a shin lamid vavem. Shalom. Shalom al Yisrael. Peace upon Israel. And thankfully, this man uh, built his home on top of this mosaic in a way that preserved this basement, sort of. And it was a synagogue. A synagogue from hundreds and hundreds of years ago in the city of Jericho. Amazing Sometimes one is able to get into that city. It's not always so safe. So check your information if you want to go visit. But one of the most ancient synagogues with a intact mosaic floor with Hebrew inscriptions in the city of Jericho. This was the first city, the capital of the land of Canaan, the first city of the Jewish people encountered, led by Yehoshua. I miraculously conquered this city. Seven times, seven circuits on the seventh day. This is a source for the custom that at a chuppah ceremony, at a Jewish canopy ceremony, a Jewish wedding, the bride, the kala, makes circuits around the chattan, around the groom. And many, as is the Chabad custom, to... Have the bride circle around the groom seven times. What is the significance of seven and why seven around the groom? So here is one explanation. Source number 10, the bride circles the groom seven times to bring down any walls that may separate them. The number seven is a very special number. They say the story of a man who never really bought any lottery tickets. And once his friends convinced him, they persuaded him, you know what, buy a ticket, maybe you'll win. And sure enough, the first time he bought a ticket, he won. And he was so excited, his friends were so excited for him. And they asked him, Shleima, how did you know which number to pick? He said, well, it was a little bit of mazel, a little bit of luck, and a little bit of seichel, some logic. A little bit of luck and a little bit of logic. He says, I always knew, we all know that the number seven is a very special number in Jewish teachings and Jewish tradition. Seventh day of Shabbos, seven emotions, seven uh, emanations of God, the seven names of God. Seven is a very special number. So I figured if seven times seven is for sure a special number. So that's how I won. Well, they said. Seven times seven is 49. The winning number was 48. He says, Aha, that's where the muzzle comes in. My luck. I was never too good at math. And I picked 48. And that's how I won. Yes, yeah, 770. The address is a very special number. So, seven days, and on the seventh day, they made seven circuits. The bride makes seven circuits, just as the Jewish people made seven circuits on the seventh day. And that brought down the walls that were dividing the Jewish army and the people of Yericho. And then they united and they were able to conquer and go into the city. Every person has a wall around them. Let's read here. The words of one of the chief rabbis of Israel, I believe, if she surrounds him with the aura of her love and makes him feel that he is the focal point of her life, then the walls come tumbling down and she has conquered him, all of him. A woman wants to conquer her husband's heart. Sometimes there's a wall there. There's something separating them. Well, they they grew up in different homes, different backgrounds, different people, men, women, from different kinds of personalities and especially a man sometimes has a wall around his heart and for the woman to penetrate her, her, his heart says the book B'magley Chaim she surrounds him once, twice, seven times and the walls come crashing down they tumble down and she and her and him can unite and become one. So interesting that a story of more than 3,300 just about 3,300 years ago, a little bit less, impacts Jewish practice today. Source number 11. There is a beautiful prayer that we say three times a day. At the end of prayers, the morning prayer, afternoon prayer, evening prayer, it is upon us to praise the master of all. The prayer of Aleinu. It is said three times a day. On the holy day of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, it is said that's when we kneel, we get down on the floor, we prostrate ourselves before God. During the prayer, we say, Vanachnu We kneel and prostrate, and we do so. It is sung with a special tune. After a brisk circumcision, this prayer is said, and many other times, the special prayer. Who authored this prayer? Today's topic. Today's man. The man of the moon. Yoshua composed. He authored this prayer. It is a very holy prayer. Source 11. An expression of his awe and wonder at God's greatness. At the conquest. A miraculous sinking of the walls of Yericho. Yoshua composed the Aleinu prayer at that time. And he says they don't realize how holy it really is. It should be said Slowly standing and in awe, people, it's the end of prayers, you know, this prayer book is already closed and they're running out of shul, it should be said with great intention, with great fervor, as the words say, it is our obligation to praise the master of all, in Hebrew, this is the translation, that he has not made us like the nations of the lands, for they prostrate themselves of vanity and nothingness. But we bow, prostrate ourselves, and offer thanks before the Supreme King of Kings, the Holy One, blessed be He. These are the words of Yeshua. He wrote it 3,000 years ago, and today, every day, millions of Jewish people say this prayer. Because at that time, the Canaanites living in the land, the Jerichoites, <laughs> the people living in Jericho and the cities of Israel, the Canaanites, were idol worshippers. They were idolaters. They worshipped idols, all kinds of idols, the sun, the moon, all kinds of images. They did not believe in the true and only God, the creator of heaven and earth. And there was a threat. There was a worry that the Jewish people, when they were in the desert, they're surrounded by the clouds of glory and they have the manna falling from heaven and the water from the rolling stone. Everything was so miraculous and spiritual Of course, they worshiped God, but now that the manna has ceased and they got to work the land and settle the land and, you know, live life in a natural way. And they're going to have neighbors that are Canaanites. They will make them stray. They will be influenced. Jewish people are very social and they will be influenced by their surrounding neighbors. There was a mitzvah to eradicate idol worship and idols from around us. The second of the Ten Commandments, do not worship idols. So, Yoshua penned this prayer pointing out the difference between worshiping the true God, the creator of heaven and earth, And others, the locals, who were worshipping and prostrating themselves to vanity, to nothingness. Now, in our history, this prayer was challenged and not liked, (laughs) to say the least, by other religions in the 10th century, 11th century, because they would translate that the meaning of these words to vanity and to nothingness is referring to their gods and were mocking them and well, it was the the Christians at that time or the story in, in France that there was a decree then, I believe in the 11th century or 12th century to rip out that this prayer of Alenu should be ripped out of the prayer books and they would have agents in the synagogues making sure that the prayer is not being said of course, this was a lie because these words were panned, were authored by Yahushua way before any uh, Christianity came into being or any other such religions. There are stories of Jewish people being led to be hung or be burnt for not accepting other religions. And this was the prayer on their lips the prayer of Yahushua saying that we believe in the true God. And they would sing it in a very, um, a uh, very moving melody. Maybe it was the melody that we sing today in shows Ah, ya it is upon us, and it goes higher and higher. You can come to Shul on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur to hear it. It higher, and then we kneel, and we prostrate ourselves. This was a very special prayer. Who was it authored by? Yehoshua. There are many such stories, miraculous stories, how there was decrees to omit it, and how the Jewish people uh, would not give in. This was a special prayer authored by Yehoshua to say it. To say it uh, and praise God. Source number 12, to wrap up the story of Jericho, the story of the conquest of Yehoshua, Cursed be the man, says he made a proclamation to the Jewish people. Cursed be the man before the Lord that builds this city, Yericho. The city was was taken over, was destroyed. And Yeshua, being that this was the first city, he did not want anyone that this city should never be rebuilt. Why? And he gave a strong curse. He said that the man who will rebuild this city... With the death of his firstborn, he will place the foundation, and with the death death of his final son, he will place its doors, install its doors. A very heavy, strong wording. Nobody should rebuild the city. The city walls should lay in ruins. And one of the reasons given is by Maimonides, as long as the sunken walls remain there undisturbed, it would be clear that this city had not been taken by any human conquest. He wanted that there should be an eternal uh, reminder to the Jewish people and all. That this city, the first city, was not taken. The Jewish people are not here by human conquest because they were mighty and they were just occupiers and coming into the land. This was with God intervention. The walls didn't break down like an army would break down a wall, crushing the stones and having them fall all over. The walls sunk into the ground. And the walls being there just like that, with the tips of the walls intact, just sunken, in, would be a testimony to all future generations, that the conquest, the settlement of the Jewish people on the land of Israel was done by God, and the Jewish people should remember that, they should follow the word of God and not be enticed and not be influenced by the ways of the Canaanites worshipping idols. And that's why Joshua made this curse. Unfortunately, a few hundred years later, there was a man, a Jewish man, when idol worship was rampant by the king of Ahab, a Jewish king, of the, of the ten tribes in the north, a man named Chiel, who indeed did rebuild, uh, I guess part of the city, and his sons died just as Joshua had cursed hundreds of years years earlier. That was this story took place in the times of Elijah. It's recorded in the Book of Kings. Very interesting story. For another time. Before we move on to our next section. Interesting that in the 1950s. Early 1950s. There were archaeologists. That did some work. Excavating around the city of Jericho. And indeed they found. Walls intact. Sunken into the ground. You can do some research. And find out. These weren't I don't believe even Jewish archaeologists. There were other bible researchers. And they have all kinds of. Um documentaries and stuff that you can read up about the findings of the archaeologists explaining how what they found matches the biblical story recorded in the book of Joshua of the conquest and the miraculous sinking of the walls of the city of Jericho moving on to uh the next section source number 13 let's talk about a woman we talk about Joshua. who was the woman behind Joshua? There was a woman living in that city, in the city of Jericho. In the city of Jericho lived a woman, her name was Rachav. Rachav, Rachav means wide. Rachav was her name. And she was a woman living in the city of Jericho. Jericho and Rachav said, source number 13, Rachav said, hello Stan and hello everybody joining on to our weekly Lunch and Learn Let's get some comments. If anybody has any questions, um, any any uh, comments on today's lesson, you can comment it in the comments, and we'll get to it. Rachav said, "We heard how God dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you, and our hearts melted for your God. He is the God in heaven above and on the earth below." Rachav and her father's household, Joshua, saved alive because she hid the messengers sent to spy out Yericho. Before Yoshua came along with the Jewish people, crossed the Jordan River, and surrounded the city and conquered the city of Jericho, he sent two spies. He sent a man named Kalev, who was one of the original spies, as we mentioned, his colleague, and another man named Pinchas, who were of great stature, and there was no... um there was no issue sending them and not being worried that they'll come back with a negative report like the, as the previous spies and they went into the city they sneaked into the city of Jericho to spy out and see what is the you know you know to gauge the the <clears throat> spirit of the people of Jericho they heard that the Jewish people are coming and they stayed in the home of a woman named Rahab Rahab's home was in the wall, was part of the outer wall surrounding the city of Yericho. And attached to the wall was her home. And they went to her home because she was a busy woman. And many people would come to her home. She fed them. And it was a good place to gather information. And she protected them. They were discovered. The king of uh, Yericho had heard that these two spies were here from the Jewish camp and she hid them. A whole story that the book tells us. We won't go into the details now. And because of that, she let out a red string hang from her window and that was a sign that that home would be saved and not be destroyed by the Jewish people. And indeed, when the city was conquered, Rachav and her household were brought into the Jewish camp as a good reward. Now, Rachav sort of she was, she was a good woman. And although she lived in Uriho, she did not have the means or the, the opportunity to come to the Jewish people. She, similar to Jethro, she believed in God and she was waiting all these years while the Jewish people were 40 years in the desert. She was waiting for the opportunity for her to join the Jewish people. And as soon as she had the first encounter with two Jewish spies, she says right away, and she risked her life to protect them. She could have been, um, held accountable For letting these spies, she hid them and the the men, uh, she deceived uh, the king and and the guards and basically uh, helped that the Jewish people should conquer the city. And yet, she proclaimed that the God of the Jewish people, the God of the creator of heaven and earth, he is the true God. And she converted and joined the Jewish people at that time. Now, the Midrash tells us that Rachav, in in, uh, the Torah, she's referred to as Hazona. She was actually uh, a prostitute, a harlot. Not a very uh, nice description, but the Torah tells us like this, in the Midrash, Source 14, Rachav, the harlot, was 10 years old when Israel left Egypt. And all 40 years that Israel was in the desert, she plied her trade. Wow, from the age of 10, she was busy. And that's actually how a lot of people were hanging around her home. And she was one of the most, four most beautiful women. We learned a few weeks ago, Esther was one of the four beautiful women. Sarah, Abigail, one of King David's wives, and Rahab. And many of the kings and high officials would come visit her secretly, openly. And she was busy. At the end of 50 years, she converted, saying, Lord of the universe, I have sinned with three things. Forgive me by virtue of three things, the rope, the window, and the wall. Eight prophets descended from Rahab, for Rahab converted and married Yehoshua. Okay, there's a lot here. So, first of all... Although it sounds like she was a harlot and not not very nice, but she was a kind soul, a very caring soul. Some of the commentaries say that she was 10 years old. Which 10-year-old is a harlot? She was out to help her poor family at the time. And this was the only way she was able to provide for her family by doing this kind of business. But she was a sensitive soul and and, uh, sort of uh, stuck in in, in this uh, path and at the first opportunity, when she met the, the two Jewish spies, she, unlike everybody else in the city, gave herself, um, uh, you know, up and sort of accepted God and wished to join the Jewish people. By virtue of three things she had sinned, because in her home, the wall, one of the walls of her home, was the part of the wall of the city. There was a window there. There was a rope. And through this window, people would come climbing in up the rope into the window, in through the wall, into her home, and sin with her and It is exactly through this window how she saved those spies. she lowered them out of the city through the window, in the wall, through the rope, and Rahab asked God to forgive her with the virtue by virtue of these three things and sure enough, she came into the camp with her household she converted. And she was a very pious woman and eventually married Yehoshua himself and had at least one daughter from him. And her descendants were some of the greatest prophets. The midrash, the Talmud says, eight prophets descended from this union of Rachav and Yehoshua. She wasn't a young woman at the time. She was 50 years old. Yehoshua at the time was 82. And yet... She turned around, converted, accepted God and became a very pious woman, meriting to have descendants, great koanim, great priests and great prophets. The prophet Jeremiah, I believe the prophet Ezekiel, Yechezkel was a descendant of her and Yeshua, great, great men descending. It is never too late for one to make a drastic change in the life. Even Rachav, the harlot, became the wife of the great Yehoshua, meriting to have such great Descendants. <laughs> Source number fifteen. After the conquest of the city of Yericho, the Jewish people moved on to the next city, the city of Ai. But before that, Joshua did something very important. Source fifteen. According to the, uh, heeding the word of God, Yoshua made for himself sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel. It's a good idea to have a very sharp knife for a circumcision. Otherwise, it can get a little more painful. It was very sharp. And he circumcised the children of Israel, for they had not circumcised them by the the way. Because of the way. What does this mean? At that time, um, the Jewish people have been given the mitzvah of circumcising their babies' boys from Avraham hundreds of years earlier. But it was a bit uh, lax in Egypt. They somewhat forgot some of the ways. They had done so in the times of Moshe, 40 years earlier, but while they were in the desert traveling, 40 years, they were wandering from here to there, and they were not—they did not know when the pillar of smoke would rise and it was time for them to um, travel on in the desert. And they did not have an opportunity to circumcise their baby boys because once a baby boy is circumcised, it is not healthy to start traveling around. So many of the new generation, the baby boys under the age of 40, were not circumcised. And at this opportunity, Yeshua circumcised them. Now, if you think about it, once a nation is being circumcised, these were men of uh, army men. They were uh, many in the age of between over 20 years old, which was the age uh, to be drafted to the Jewish army. And yet they circumcised. You know, there's another story in Torah where uh, the city of Shechem and the two brothers, Shimon and Levi, the sons of Jacob, after their sister Dina was um, was raped by a man named Shechem in the city of Nablus, they uh, told them to get a circumcision and then when they were very weak, they were had a very easy time conquering them. And yet the Jewish people were making themselves vulnerable by circumcising the entire nation, the men of army, because this was a spiritual kind of conquest this was doing the word of god making a bris this would in no way this would in no way affect lessen their ability to be able to conquer and settle the land of israel on contrary this was a great preparation making sure they have a bris doing a mitzvah that was an introduction to the conquest of Jericho. After that came the city of Ai, and there's a story that happened in Ai. After that, there was a story of the Givon, and it was a great war where five of the kings joined together, and they waged war. Yoshua and the Jewish army came, and again, there were miraculous events fighting God fighting for the Jewish people alongside the Jewish people, but very miraculous things. One of them is the following in source number 16. As they fled from Israel, the Lord cast down great stones from heaven upon them, and they died. The hailstones were the remainder of the plague of hailstones in Egypt. So the Avonim G'doyois, the big stones that were falling from heaven and helped the Jewish people chase away and these five kings that joined together to fight the Jewish people. Uh, these stones were like hailstones. And interesting, the Midrash says that they were the remainder. See, one of the ten plagues in Egypt, 40 years earlier, was hailstones. Now, Pharaoh had told Moshe to pray that the stone, the hail should stop. And as soon as Moshe prayed, instantly, the hail stopped. Now, some of them were on their way down already from heaven. So what happened to them? They just disappeared. You know, they're falling, falling, falling. Boom. Now, when it stops raining, it stops raining earlier in heaven, and then from the from the cloud it takes a couple of, take takes some time till it stops raining down here, a couple of seconds at least, and the hail stopped instantly, and it did not hit the ground, so there were some hail stuck up there, and the midrash says that they were saved for this instance, this episode. Forty years later, in the times of Joshua, and those things st- stones came crashing down on the Amorites, Amorium who were fighting the Jewish people. Another miracle is the following. Years earlier, the great-grandfather Jacob, Yaakov, he had come down to Egypt to be reunited with his son Joseph. Yosef had two sons, Menashe, the older one, and Ephraim, the younger one. Yaakov is on his deathbed. And Yosef brings his two lads, Menashe and Ephraim, to his father, Yaakov, to bless them. And Yaakov does something mysterious. Now, usually the right hand, in Jewish tradition especially, is the more dominant one, the more kind one, the stronger one. And the left hand is the secondary hand. Here you have a picture. This is not real, by the way. It happened uh, about 3,500 years ago. It's Yaakov, blessing, giving a blessing. And it's customary that when a blessing is given, the hands are rested on the heads of the recipient. But instead of putting his right hand on Menashe, the older one, and the left hand on the younger one, he switches his hands. He twists his hands. Why would he do that? Usually the older boy, if he's older, he should get the right hand and the younger one should get the left hand. But Yaakov twists his hands and puts his right and dominant hand on the younger one, Ephraim. Why does he do that? And his son, Joseph, is astonished. He tries correcting his father. Source number 17, Israel, another name for Jacob, stretched out his right hand and placed it on Ephraim's head, although he was the younger and his left hand he placed on Menashe's head. He said, He too will become a people and will be great, but his younger brother will be greater than he, and his children's fame will fill the nations. The dominant hand, the greater blessing, was given to the younger son of Ephraim. Why? Because his children's fame will fill the nations. Source 18 says, Rashi for Yehoshua... Is the destined to be descended from him, the one who will distribute the inheritances of the land of Israel and teach Torah to Israel. The whole world will be filled with his fame. The great Yoshua was a descendant of Ephraim. What does it mean? His the whole world will be filled with his fame. Happened right here at the conquest of Israel at his great war. Source 19. It was a Friday when the five kings. Attacked in Givon. City of Givon. And Yoshua was fighting. And the Jewish people needed more time. Said Yoshua Source 19. Yoshua addressed the Lord. He said in the presence of the Israelites. Stand still O sun. At Givon. O moon. In the valley of Ayalon. And And the sun stood still. And the moon halted while a nation wreaked judgment on its foes. Thus the sun halted in mid-heaven and did not press on to set. When the sun was above Givon, the Jewish people needed more hours to finish the war. Once it would get dark, it would be more difficult. And Yoshua, dressing the Lord, performed the most miraculous of stopping the sun. The sun stood still. There are different opinions how many hours. Some say up to 36 hours. The sun stood still and shined above Givon and gave the Jewish people an opportunity to finish off and win the war till it was done. Source 20 Many reasons are given for this miracle. One, God controls both the heavens above and the earth below. This was to demonstrate to the people of the land and to the Jewish people that God was not merely below with the splitting of the sea or things above down here, but also the heavens above, the sun, the moon, it all halted. The whole system of the galaxies, everything just stood in place for a couple of hours. This was also demonstrating that the conquest of the Jewish people in the land of Israel was a miraculous one. And that's one reason. God showed too. God showed how powerless the heavenly bodies which the Canaanites worship really really are. They worshiped the sun, the moon. Each of the 31 kings had another star which was their god and their uh uh you know ruler and deity. And by mixing things up and halting the system, the the, the the cycles of the sun and the moon halting everything, God was crushing and demonstrating that their deities were powerless. They were merely tools in the hands of God. Yes, the sun is very powerful, but it is merely like an axe in my hand, the hand of a builder. Yes, the axe is breaking the, chopping the wood, but it is my power that is, uh, just using the axe. And the Jewish people wanted to finish the battle before Shabbos to be able to celebrate that holy day. It was a Friday, and they wanted to finish the battle before Shabbos so they can celebrate the holy day uh, and resting from the war, and many other reasons given for this great miracle of The stopping of the sun. So you have the splitting of the Jordan. You have this sinking of the walls. You have the falling of the stones. The sun halting. These are all great miracles performed by Yehoshua. Maybe not as well known, but recorded in the Torah, in the book of Yehoshua. And that leads us to our final section. Let's try to wrap this up. Our final section. Of why was Yoshua called the man of the moon? We're getting to we're getting to that um, Yoshua source number twenty one. You think of all these wars, you say, "Hey, you know, sounds a little bit mean." All these people they were living in Israel. So, source twenty one tells us that war would not be wa- should not be waged against anyone until they are offered the opportunity of peace. Yoshua sent three letters to the king. First letter said, whoever desires to flee should flee. Hey, you know, we're coming here by the word of God. And uh, if you want to flee, you have a chance. Go take your stuff, pack them up and move. Uh, you know, you got some time. Source, then letter number two, whoever desires to. Flee. Okay, here we are. We're back. Whoever desires to make peace, make peace. Now, peace would mean that. Listen, we're coming into the land. We are going to eradicate any idol worship. You have to. You don't have to convert and become Jewish. But the seven Noahide laws, believing in the true God and and um, not worshiping idols and justice and so on, those Noahide laws will be enforced. You want to accept and be peaceful. That's okay. And number three, if you ever desires war, you don't want to be peaceful, you don't want to flee, should do battle. None of the nations flee. actually one nation fleed the Girgoshi. none of them chose peace besides oops, And the rest of them chose battle. Even though they heard of all these great miracles, somehow they would just not give up. Source 22, the book of Yahshua continues after these miraculous war, wars that were won. Yahshua took the whole land and gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. That's why it's called Israel. It was given to the children of Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Each tribe got their own territory and the land rested from war. It took seven years to conquer the land in 70 more years, to split up the land and settle the land. And the Lord gave to Israel the entire land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they inherited it and dwelled in it many years after God had promised it to Abraham, to Abraham, and said to your children, I will give this land and Isaac and Jacob and in generations and generation they had this promise and when Moses came to the Jewish people in Egypt he said, I'm taking you out of Egypt to bring you to the land flowing in milk and honey to the land of Israel which God had promised to our forefathers. Finally, in the days of Yahshua, he was the one, the descendant of Ephraim, his fame filled the world with this great miracle of the sun halting and the inheritance of the land of Israel. And that is why Jacob put his right hand over the younger one, the great-great-grandfather of Yahushua. Sourced, Source 23, Yoshua led the Jewish people from age 82 until his passing. Tonight, the 26th day of Nisan, is the anniversary of his passing. At age 110, Yoshua is buried in a place called Timnas Serach in the territory of his tribe in Ephraim. Today, it can be uh, visited, I believe, uh, I think it's in the West Bank. Somewhere in Israel is where he is buried. They have a grave, and. Ancient uh, sort of building over his uh, grave, this Yehoshua, the son of Nun, buried in Israel. Today, you can visit the gravesite of the successor of Moshe, Yehoshua. Says the Talmud, Source 23, the face of Moshe was as bright as the face of the sun. The face of Yehoshua was like the face of the moon. What does this mean? Simply, The sages were saying that uh, Moshe was greater than Yeshua. His face shone like the sun. The sun is so much more powerful. Moshe was the one that gave the Jewish people the Torah. He was the first leader of the Jewish people. There was no one like him that spoke face to face with God. Moshe was like the sun. And Yoshua was like the moon. The moon also gives light, but not as much as the sun. But the deeper meaning is continuing here as the moon has no luminance of its own but receives all of its light from the sun. So had Yahshua completely abnegated himself to his master. Yahshua was the true student. He was a reflection of his teacher Moshe. Talmud says that as long as Yoshua was alive, it was as if Moshe was alive. He was the faithful and loyal student. His whole being, his whole identity was of his teacher. He was like the moon. The moon has no light of its own. The moon is just a moon. It is a a, a bare, a plain planet. It doesn't have light, but it is a vessel to reflect the light of the sun. The sun shines onto the moon according to its position. It reflects and gives light to us. Its whole life, its whole light, it comes from the sun. But he is the vessel. He, is, he has the humility, sort of, to just reflect the light of the sun. And similarly, Yeshua. Yeshua was the true loyal student of Moshe. His whole identity was all what he studied for Moshe. He transmitted that to, that to the Jewish people. And he shown to the Jewish people, reflected to the Jewish people, the light of Moshe as the moon reflects the light of the sun. Yahshua was like the moon reflecting the light of his teacher, Moshe. Deeper, source number 24, which is our last source for today. You know, Moshe was sort of this holy man. He was like half angel, half human, sort of. Going up to the heavens, the top of the mountain, 40 days, 40 nights, no eating, no no drinking, no sleeping. Learning the Torah from God. And he brings the Torah down to the world. It's sort of a... Um, approach of... Uh, from above to below. Yahushua, on the other hand is like the moon. Source 24, Yoshua is compared to the moon which has no light of its own and merely reflects the sun's light. This represents a bottom-up approach to godly service. The idea of elevating the physical world into a moon, a vessel for godly light. Yoshua's mode has the unique advantage in that he achieved that the world itself should become godly. Not just that it had godliness imposed onto it. Moshe was the leader of the Jewish people that stayed in the desert. They were in the heavenly atmosphere. They had the manna, they had the clouds of glory, they were protected, they were cared for. All they did was study Torah and do spiritual things. They witnessed Mount Sinai and all the great things. It was like a, a very holy kind of life. Like the sun shining, Moshe, their teacher, represented that. Yeshua was the leader of the Jewish people who conquered the land, settled the land of Israel. No more manna, they had to work the land, plow and plant and sow and and, and reap and work hard. They lived amongst the Canaanites, the people that had to eradicate, that had to deal with them, they had to wage war, settle the land, destroy the idols. Yeshua was like the moon. His job was to educate a generation to be like the moon, that the world that they are involved in should be developed, should be cultivated in a way that it can be like the moon. It can be a vessel to reflect God's light, the light of the sun, the light of the Torah, the light of God, that in the field, We can recognize that it's all from God, not just when the manna falls from heaven, in the field, when things grow naturally, and in being involved in the world and working hard and so on, we can set times to study Torah like we're doing now, and do mitzvahs and give 10%, and even when we are involved in the world, when there's no shining sun, we're like the moon, but we can create that the world and ourselves should be like the moon, should be a reflection of the great light of the Torah and of God. This wraps up today's lesson about this most unique and important biblical character named Yehoshua, Joshua, the successor, the student of Moses, which led the Jewish people into the land of Israel at first to settle the land of Israel. The Jewish people lived there for hundreds of years. Following that, eventually came after Joshua, came the elders and the prophets, Shmuel, then King Sha'ol, David, Shlom, David, King Solomon, they built the first temple, then there was a the destruction, they came back for the second temple, hundreds of years. It was never a time that Jewish people were never living in the land of Israel, whether most of the nation, all of the nation, and some of the nation, some families, till today, where there are millions of people living in the Holy Land of Israel. Thank you for joining us. If you have any comments, now is a good time. Uh, this is our weekly Lunch and Learn session. take a moment to share this post so others can benefit from these teachings as well. Interesting that, just leave you off with a little uh, number. Gematria. So what was the total amount of circuits that the Jewish people circle the city of Jericho? They did seven days. The first six days, every day was just one circuit. And on the seventh day, there were seven circuits. So how many circuits is that? Seven. Plus 6 equals 13. 13 is a very Jewish number. Echad is 1. The word Echad, Aleph, Chet, Dalit is 1, Chet is 8, Dalit is 4, is 13. The number 13, Bar Mitzvah, the 13 attributes of mercy, the number 13 is a very special number. And we just see here that every detail of the story has so much significance, has so much meaning. There are so many commentaries and Oh, there we go. We're back on. That was just a glimpse. Um, thank you for joining us and hope to see you next week for another Lunch and Learn. Zeitgesund and enjoy a wonderful spring day.